I don't know if you've ever played this game before uh, called Where Were You When? But I remember growing up as a kid, my, my parents, whenever they would have uh, folks over to our house and uh, there'd be a small group that met together, they would always ask that question, where were you when? And, and they were old, so the first question they would say is, where were you when John F. Kennedy was assassinated in 1963? And a whole bunch of people would say different things. And I wasn't born yet, okay? Uh, And then they would say, where were you when we walked on the moon? When, uh, you know, Neil Armstrong took that first step in 1969. And again, I wasn't born yet. And then my generation, one of the things that they'll often ask is, uh, where were you when the space shuttle Challenger exploded? Remember that first time it a teacher had been there, and I, I can remember being in high school, and we watched it live, and, and the, the, the pain that was kind of there for our country. And, and we know today, people always ask this question when we think about 9-11 and when the Twin Towers went down, and we will ask, where were you when that took place? I mention that because I'm totally convinced that... A king in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, a guy by the name of Hezekiah, knew exactly where he was at and what he was doing and maybe even what he was wearing when he got a threatening letter from a rival king. In the letter he tells him, he says, if you don't surrender, I'm going to invade Jerusalem And I'm going to kill every single man, woman, and child. And it's like Hezekiah, you know, gets this letter and he's only 39 years old. And he's like, he's got the power to do it. He's he's enough of a maniac king that he could do that. His army's strong enough. He could wipe us out. And so I have a feeling he reads it once, he takes the letter again, he starts reading it a second time. And all of a sudden he feels the weight of the world on his shoulder. And he's like, this this could happen. Maybe he like, you know, starts sweating and he's overwhelmed and he's so anxious. And then he goes back to the letter again and he He reads that one section of the letter. He looks over it a second time. Every man, woman, and child will be killed. And Hezekiah starts thinking about his wife. Thinks about his kids. Thinks about his family. Some of his best friends. Maybe at this point he starts getting a little lightheaded because he... He's so overwhelmed. Everything is so tied up in knots from the anxiety that he feels. And finally, he's like, my only hope is in God. Like it's lights out if God doesn't show up. It's my only hope. He's like, there is no human plan B. This is it. God, you show up. Or I'm done. We're done. Now before I uh, give you Hezekiah's response, I just want to ask you this morning, have you ever had something terrible, terrible happen to you? Something so terrible that you can remember exactly when it was that it took place. Maybe it was a a lawsuit. Or maybe your world was rocked by a pink slip. You just finally got to the point where you were, your head was above, above water and you lost your job. Maybe it was a foreclosure notice. 
Maybe your world got rocked by a medical report. Or maybe it was by an affair from your spouse. Or you can remember the time that they brought the divorce papers and they served you. And you can remember the morning, you can remember the afternoon, you can remember the evening of when that took place. You can remember being shocked. Like, really? Like, really? This is what's going down. This is what's happening. I can't believe it. Not now. Some of you have been hit by some news like a sledgehammer. And it was like, in a very brief moment... All clarity came to you. Everything came to a straight focus. It's either God showing up or I'm done. My only hope, the only hope I have is in God. There is no plan B. Either God steps in or it's lights out. And I have a feeling that if you've ever been there before, if you've ever had that happen, and, and, and I have, that you, you remember when it was. You remember what you were doing. You remember what you were wearing. Now back to Hezekiah. After he receives this threatening letter from this rival king that knocks the wind out of him, This is what the text says in 2 Kings chapter 19. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. I love this image. He takes this letter and he runs to the temple and he gets to the temple and he just spreads it out before God. And he says, God, this this problem right here is way too hard for me to handle. You've got to show up, God. God, I really need you to read every sentence. Do you see this letter? I need you to read every sentence of every word. Because I can't handle this thing alone. I don't know about you, but I really appreciate Hezekiah's vulnerability and dependency. Don't you? I mean, he's a king. And he just comes to the temple and he just spreads everything out. And then it says, after he spread it out, this is what happened. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, God of Israel, enthroned on high, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Now this is just the beginning of his prayer. He's just kind of warming up. Do you see what he's doing here? Do you see what what angle he's taking? He recognizes what he's doing when he starts his prayer, that it's really important. You know what he's doing? He's filling his faith tank. You see, he's got all the weight of this letter, and he's thinking to himself, only God, there's no way. So I got to go back, and the first thing I got to do is I have to remind myself who it is I'm talking to. I'm not just talking to some pagan God. I'm not just talking to any other God. I'm not talking to an inanimate object. I am talking to the one who created the heavens and the earth and who knows how to do all things. And this leads us to the big idea that I really want you to get this morning. And it's this. It'll come up on the side screen. Filling our faith tank through prayer reminds us of God's limitless power. Filling our faith tank through prayer reminds us of God's limitless power. 
Any of you this morning know what it feels like to be spiritually empty? I've been there, and it's not a pretty sight. But I want to know about you. Like, do you know what it's like to feel spiritually empty? It's like you're going through the motions, maybe you even go to church, maybe you read the Bible, maybe you pray, but the reality is you just feel empty. You just kind of go through the motions, but deep down you know you're on E. The red light is on. And folks, the reality is, is that when our worlds get rocked by some terrible news, immediately... The level of your spiritual life goes down and it looks like this. It goes to E. There's nothing there. I got nothing left. But let me ask you something. When your faith tank is at that level, at E, and there's nothing there, whose responsibility is it to tap into God's power and to fill the tank back up again. Whose responsibility is it? Whose? Yours. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. Hezekiah fills his tank by reminding himself through prayer what this powerful God has done throughout the history of Israel. I mean, he's like, hey, if God spoke like the world into being, if he made everything that I can see, then surely he can handle this punk political leader. Just a punk. You know, when my faith tank is approaching me, the way that I try to fill it back up again is through prayer. And what I'll typically do when I'm at E or I'm approaching it, I'll get this book out and I'll start reading stories of some of the people who God showed up for when they were on E. Now, we talked about a few of these. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about this guy named Moses. Remember, the entire army's getting killed. And what does Moses do? Raises his hands, right? Like a small little child. God, come. And God showed up. Or Daniel. Daniel's like going down into the lion's den, you know? He's like, whoo, God, you better show up. And he does. And today we're going to talk about Hezekiah. And so one thing that I'll do when I'm on E, I'll get this out and I'll remind myself, what's God done in the past? And then I'll think about what has God done in Chris Bunch's life? I was thinking about it this week. I'm age three. I'm walking out on a pier in northern Indiana. At the end of the pier, it's seven to eight foot high. I do not know how to swim. I fall in. And somehow, by the grace of God, there was a little cable underneath. And I have no idea. My parents don't know. But I held on. And then I think when I'm in college... Partying, drinking, sexing, doing everything. And God reached down. And he said, I'm not done with you. And he rescued me. And I think when I was 22 years old, I didn't have a clue of anything to do with this book or leading a church. And God said, I'm calling you right now to be a pastor. 
And at age 24, I remember going to a retreat weekend where I had so much from college that was weighing me down, keeping me down. And I learned about God's grace for the first time in my life, that there is nothing you can do, folks, to make God love you less. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. God is head over hills in love with you. It's not based upon your behavior. And I remember being supernaturally guided when we started this church called The Jar 11 years ago. And God has done a work in your lives, in my life, in the life of our community. And when I review all of that, and my faith tank is low, I'm like, okay, God, this is the concern I have. This is, look what you've done. I don't need to worry about this. I think, God, you got this. And I give it to him. Now, last week I shared with you that sometimes, though, it's hard for me to connect with God through prayer. Um, I don't have the real good attention span. I think I told you, you know, I, I, everyone told me you should pray outside in God's creation. And I tried to do that one time and I was sitting there and all of a sudden, squirrel, you know, it's just like I'm clueless. Like I just could not focus whatsoever. So I told you that I had to write down my prayers. Remember that? And I thought, well, some people may not have been there. And so I just wanted to share with you uh, what that looks like. And so Uh, here's kind of an acronym that I use. The P stands for praise. Uh, The R uh, stands for repent. And then the A stands for ask. And the Y stands for yield. And just like I did this morning, I woke up and I put these down and I wrote out what I wanted to praise God for and repent, what I need to change, what I need to ask Him for. And I spent time just kind of listening to Him. And what I love about this formula, folks, is that it begins with praise, that it begins with thanking the king of the entire world. It reminds me that as I go through the rest of my prayer, as I praise, it's a massive power that I'm speaking to. And it helps me then to fill my faith tank. And when it finally gets time for maybe you to say your prayer, if, if you do this and you praise him first, you're like, huh, I think God's pretty big. Like whatever the things I'm going to ask him for, I've already decided he's praiseworthy for these things. So he's big enough to handle whatever the issue is that I'm going through. And then you... Lay your knee down before him in faith, believing that he's going to answer that. And folks, if you've never tried this before, if you've never tried, first of all, before you ask him for anything, that you simply praise him or you thank him for what he's done in your life, this is what happens when you do this. Your faith tank gets full. Because you start reminding yourself That he really is the one who can answer and do some great things in my life. And it changes the way that you pray. Now back to Hezekiah. After he's done filling his tank, this is what he says. Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone are God. There's so much to be learned in this part of the prayer. It's a very powerful prayer. He's in the temple. He's got this threatening letter and he, he spreads it out. And then the enemy king is on the attack. And Hezekiah simply and sincerely and succinctly says, Oh God, deliver us from this evil king. Now, this happens in the 6th century B.C., before Jesus ever comes on the scene. But after he comes on the scene, there's a follower who follows him, and he pretty much says, that's the way you should pray. His name was Paul. 
And in the first century, in Philippians chapter 4, this is what he wrote. Let your requests be made known to God. He's like, that's it. Like, let your request be made known to God. You want God to do something? Then you simply let him know what it is. You don't have to use some big flowery words, you know, that you hear at high school or college graduations, and you're like, oh, please. You don't have to beg God, oh, please, 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 please. You don't have to ask the pastor. You don't have to go up and say, oh, man, I got this is a big one, so I better go to the pastor for this one. Folks, you have just as much a connection, the ability to connect with the holy God, the creator of the universe, as Billy Graham, the Pope, me, anybody else. You can do it. You don't need anybody else. There's a direct line anytime you want to talk to God. You have been invited to simply come to the God of the universe and let your request be known simply and sincerely. Folks, when you're praying too, you don't have to ramble on. You don't have to go like on and on and on and on. Just make your request be made known. Now, I've been a pastor for 17 years, and I've been in a lot of prayer situations, a lot of prayer meetings, a lot of uh, prayer gatherings where we're praying. And uh, every once in a while, I'll be at one of these, and someone decides that they're going to try to break the record. Like the Guinness Book of World Record on prayer links. And they go on and on and on and on. And I've been there before, like there's eight or ten of us, and everyone's like going around the circle praying. And it gets to guy number two, and that's the guy. And in my head, you know, you start for a little bit, and then all of a sudden you're like, dude, seriously? Like there's eight more of us left to go. We're going to be here till midnight. And sometimes, I just got to confess, I sin. I do. I wish I didn't. I wish I had more patience, you know, with, with long-winded prayer people. But Jesus said this, look. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases thinking you will be heard for the many words you pray. So if you get mad and you want to send an email, don't send it to me. Send it to Jesus. You know what this basically means? This is what Jesus says. When you come to me in prayer, get to the point. Like, get to the point. He asks, what do you want me to do for you? Just tell me. He doesn't need you to ramble on and show off and, you know, shoot it straight. Now, there's another area in prayer that I think we can improve on. I've improved on it. But now, you ever, like, you ever do something for a while and you never thought it was that annoying? But then once you caught yourself and you're like, ugh. That's so annoying. Now, whenever you hear somebody else do it, you're like, oh, my word. <laughs> and this is mine. When people come, and they'll, they'll come to me and they'll say, Pastor, I'm praying that God is with you. Or they'll come up and they're saying, I, I'm praying that God is with somebody else. And I prayed this way for a long, long time. In fact, we used to go behind this backdrop, and before the band, we still do, but before the band would come out, we would pray, and I would always say, oh, God, um, please come and be with us. God, would your Holy Spirit come and just move in this place? And then about three or four years ago, I was back there, and I was praying, oh, God, you know, come be with us. You know, Holy Spirit, come be with us. And I got this prompting from the Holy Spirit that said, I'm already with you. Like, you don't have to ask me to come. I'm already here. And bunch, if truth were known, I was here before you were here. 
And when you leave from this place, my spirit will go with anyone who chooses to tap into the Holy Spirit that is in each of us. Folks, I want you to realize this this morning. God is with us. Like he is. You know, there's a scripture that says when two or three are gathered in his name, that he's present. Jesus, right now, through his spirit, is right here. Some of you are like, dude, is he beside me? Right now. And you're like, okay, bunch, thanks. Nice positive thing. I'll go through the rest of the week. Well, God's with me, you know. But don't just listen to me. That's what God actually says. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let's read this all out loud together, okay? We're going to read out loud together. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. Okay? I didn't say that. God said it. Well, that's the God of the Old Testament. I see what you're doing. That's an Old Testament scripture that this Hebrews writer put it in there. So that's it. No. Jesus said it too. Look what he said. Let's read it out loud together. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's read it again. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's like, I'm here. Folks, you will never be alone. You'll never be alone. You don't have to pray for me that God would be with me. He is with me. You don't have to pray for other people for, for God to be with them. He is with them. Now, an intelligent prayer sounds more like this. God, allow us, as I'm sitting here right now, connect, to connect with your presence. God, help me to tap into the work of your Holy Spirit that is going on right now. Because if you know Christ, he's already with you and for you, and he never leaves you. The problem is us connecting with him. So as you learn to pray briefly and succinctly, then you won't be going for the Guinness Book of World Record prayer, okay? And you'll learn to pray that God is with me. He wants to hear me right now. Back to Hezekiah. He says, please, Lord, deliver us from his hand. That's all he says. That's his simple prayer. God, deliver us. Then he goes on, so that all the kingdoms on earth may know that you alone are God. Those two words, so that, are the biggest key in this entire prayer. And that phrase, so that, is throughout Scripture. Now, you would think, though, right, when he, when he says this, so that all the kingdoms on the earth may know that you alone are God. Dude, he's got an army, like, on his tail. He should be saying, you know, so that you would save my rear end. So that I could keep my kingdom. So that I could be a king for the next 29 years. But no, 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 no. That's not what he says. He says, so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, our God. Folks, this prayer is one of the most powerful prayers in all of Scripture. And you would be wise. Like, if you want wisdom in your life, you would be wise to model your prayers after this formula. Now, confession time. If I were truthful, I would say that most of my prayer life has been about one person. You know who it's been about? Me. God, I want you to do my program, my comfort, my wants, my wishes, my agenda. I mean, if I don't catch myself when I start to pray, I'll even pray this. May my will be done. May my kingdom come. 
And what I want really is, I just want God to arrange what I want. Instead of the other way around, where I ask God to do something in my life so that God's name is made great. So that the people around me are impacted and lifted up. So that lives are changed because of what God's going to do as he answers this so that he would be lifted up. The Bible says this, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you spend what you get on your pleasures. Folks, you know why God often refuses to answer your request? Because he looks down at your motives and he sees that they're all messed up and all you're trying to do is manipulate God to do what you want. And listen to me very carefully on this. God is not your divine butler. And he's not mine. He is not your rich uncle. He is not the genie in the bottle. Oh, God, three things I ask. To love me more dearly, to see me more clearly. You know what God's chief goal is, too? Or or, let me tell you, what it is not, God's chief goal, folks, is not to make you healthy, wealthy, thin, or happy. It's not his job. His number one job. God's chief purpose in making you is to make you look more like Jesus Christ. More than anything else, what he wants you to do is look like Jesus in what you think, what you say, and what you do. That you would have a strengthened faith of men and women. That's what God's chief goal is. You know, I have a feeling that if truth were known, some of you walked in today and you're kind of frustrated with God. You came to church because maybe you got gilded into it. Maybe you thought, ah, maybe it'll work. I'll try it one more time. But if truth were known, you're kind of frustrated with God. I mean, you've been tugging on him for a long time about something, maybe days or weeks or months or years. You've asked him to do something, and for some reason, he's just not cooperating. And you're like, I'm not asking you to solve AIDS. I'm just asking you to do this one thing in my life. But he's not coming through for you. And if truth were known, you're disappointed. You're praying, God, change my wife. God, change my husband. God, fix my boss. God, give me a raise. God, deflate the Patriots on next Sunday. (laughs) I just couldn't let it go. People... 25,000 people today are going to die of hunger and lack of water, and we're talking about deflated footballs. You know, I mean, like, serious. I'm even a Colts fan. I'm like, what? 25,000 people are dying right now just because they don't have lack of food or lack of water. 25,000. But, but you're praying these things. God changed my husband. God changed, you know, my boss, changed my wife, uh, Change my work situation. Give me a raise. And the reality is you're just disappointed because you're not getting the answer that you want. And I just want to ask you straight up this morning. Have you analyzed your so that's lately? Have you analyzed, have you reread maybe some of your prayers lately that you've written down to see if it's all about you or if there is a so that God would be lifted up. 
so that people would be changed? Is there anything in your prayer life that would say, so that God would receive honor and glory in what I'm praying for? I mean, rather than taking, you know, kids come with Christmas lists, wish lists. My kids have all this stuff. My daughter wanted an iPad. I'm like, you're seven years old. Get a grip, you know? But you know, I had to think about it. That's all we do. We come to God with our Christmas wish list. When we could really simply pray, God, this is it, so that your name would be made great. So that lives would be changed. So that people would be lifted up. And folks, I'll tell you, when you start praying this way, it humbles you. And when I first taught on this a couple of years ago, it humbled me because my prayers were so out of joint. And then I started praying, so that. And it purifies my prayers. And you begin to pray with faith and with confidence. Like you never have before. And there's purity in your prayer. Why? Because you're giving God glory. Or you're asking Him to move in the lives of other people around you. Now tomorrow morning, most of you are going to get up for work. And you're going to... I know some of you are like, that was depressing, you know. (laughs) Sorry, you know. I didn't set up the plan. That's the way God made it. But you're going to go to work. And when you go to work, what could a prayer look like for work? Well, maybe it looked like this. Help me at work today to do my very best. Help me to model your love and your grace to all my coworkers so that they would be drawn to you. Do you think God would answer a prayer like that? Do you? Yeah. How about those of you who are facing a medical condition? Maybe your prayer could look like this. God, give the surgeon's focus as I go under the knife so that I can return to full health and serve you in greater ways and with greater energy so that your name would be made great. Parents, those of you that are parents, you probably pray for your kids. Are there any so that's in your prayer for your kids. I pray for my two girls every night, and usually this is the prayer. God, please protect Jordan and Shiloh all through the night so that they would impact this world in your name for great things and so that they would see that you are a great God. But maybe you're sitting there today and you're like, all right, Your kids are five and seven. Mine's 20-some. And they're so far from God. How, How do I pray for them? Oh, God, bring my 25 year old daughter back to her childhood faith so that she can be secure in your love and live a life that honors you. How about when you're praying for this church? When you're praying for the jar, what could a prayer look like? God, keep pouring your power and your favor on our church so that people who are far from you would be drawn closer to you and their lives would be changed and they might come to church and they would meet you and there would be hope given to them. Folks, when you pray so that prayers... What you find is, it's not about you. But it's about God and His glory. It's about God moving in a broken world. And I'll say it again. When you start to do this, when you start to pray these types of prayers, it increases your faith. Your faith tank gets full. And God hears those. So here's Hezekiah's story. He runs to the temple and he spreads out this threatening letter from a rival king. And he says, God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms and all the kings will know that you are God. 
Now, guess what happens next, just as he's finishing his prayer? You want to know? So he finishes this prayer. And a prophet, God sends a prophet. Another uh, word for pastor. God sends a pastor to him. And the prophet kind of taps him on the shoulder. He's like, Hezekiah. It's like, what? What's going on? He's like, God wanted me to tell you, he's got this. God's got this. He's like, what? What are you talking about? He's like, God's got this. He's like, oh, God's got this. Okay, well, I'll get them to sound the trumpet. Let's get all the army together, and we'll go out, and we'll fight for him. He's like, no, 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 no. God's got this. And Hezekiah's like, what What do you mean? You mean I can go lay in my hammock and take a nap and everything's going to be fine? And the prophet's like, well, if you're tired, go ahead. God's got this. Here's exactly what the prophet in 1 Kings 19.31 says. The zeal of the Almighty will accomplish this. It says, Hezekiah, this is one you don't even have to lift a finger. You don't even have to lift a finger. You mean I don't have to go to the battle? You mean God's going to fight this battle for me? Yep. That's what he's going to do. Now, you can read the rest of what happens in 2 Kings. I encourage you to do that. But I know some of you pretty well, and I'm afraid you might not do that. So, you want to hear the rest of the story? So, this is what happens. God sends an angel. Not a hundred angels. Not a thousand angels. Not ten thousand angels. He sends one angel into the enemy camp and 185,000 soldiers that night meet their maker. And the story ends with a rumor being circulated to all of the other pagan kings that Hezekiah is a friend of the true God. Like, All these gods we're praying to, it ain't going to work. But let's not go to Israel anymore. Because you saw what happened when Hezekiah's friend, who is the God of the Most High, takes power. Folks, this is what I want to remind you this morning. That the same God who was there for Hezekiah and called him his friend, is your friend. He's your friend. The same God. And it would give him great pleasure if you would go and share with him any of the needs that are going on in your life. Any of the things that you need assistance with. And he will come to you. And I'm telling you folks, as you begin to pray this way, There will be times in which the Holy Spirit will actually come to you. The Holy Spirit will come to you and say, why why are you on your knees? Get up. Go to work. I got this. God's got this. When you walked in today, you each received one of these that was in your uh, program. I'd like you to pull it out. On the very top it says, what is the single greatest concern you need to spread out before God? So get the pen in front of you and uh, you can start thinking about that. If you, if you didn't get one of these, just raise your hand and one of our uh, greeters will get that for you. Um, so just raise your hand and uh, they'll get that for you. And what I'm going to ask you to do is to write your prayer out. And then in just a moment, I'll have the greeters come up and they're going to take. 
They're going to actually collect these today. And then on your way out, if you wrote one down, what I'm challenging you to do is to pick one up and for the next three weeks, for the rest of this prayer series, that you would pray for whatever that is each day. So the next 21 days, you'd pray for somebody else. You don't know them. You don't know what's going on in their life. You're just saying, I'd like someone to pray for me. I'm going to pray for them. And so Hezekiah spreads out his need before God, whatever the pressing concern, the biggest need in your life. And for some of you, it might be, God, would you, would you work in my marriage right now? God, we're struggling with our finances right now. God, would you, would you meet us there? God, there's a relationship in the workplace that I need your help with. God, I need you to work in the life of my child. They're far from you. You don't have to put specific names. You can just make it generic like, God, be with my daughter. Or God, help me with the finances. God, help me get along with my boss. So I'd like you to take a moment right now to write down your single greatest concern. invite the greeters to come up and uh, we'll turn the lights down. And I'd just like you to just uh, go ahead and, and put your prayer concern in the little bag as it, as it goes by. Well, Hezekiah, he goes into the temple and he spreads out this threatening letter to God. And do you remember what he does next? He spreads it out and he begins to pray. But the way he begins his prayer is by reminding himself of what God has done in his life. Of how great God is. That he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. That he's enthroned on high. He fills his faith tank. And sometimes when my faith tank is low, what I do is I I kind of pull away from everything, and I think of three things that God has been faithful in my life. I try to think of three things where God has proven himself to be faithful. And whatever the thing is that I'm concerned about, and I'm worried about, and I'm anxious about, once I talk about those three things, it's like, that thing's not that big. That's really not that big. And so I want to give you a moment right now to think of three times in which God has proven himself faithful in your life. Maybe it's when he forgave you. Maybe it's when he rescued you. Maybe it's when he healed you. Maybe it's when he provided for you. Like out of the blue, you're like, no, way. oh man. And his provision was enough. And so what I'd like you to do is to Just take a moment in prayer. You can close your eyes. Just be with God. And think of three times. Remind him. Say, God, thank you so much for these three things. And then pray your single greatest need prayer, whatever that is. So three things and then pray that single greatest concern that you just put on the card.
And finally, what is the so that? Like the single greatest concern that you just wrote down on a piece of paper. If God were to answer that, so that what? God, if you, if you moved in my marriage and you healed it up so that other marriages would be blessed by this. God, if you could meet this one need in my life so that your name would be made great. So I'd like you to take a moment right now and, and pray, what is the so that if God were to answer this single greatest concern in your life? I'm going to invite you to stand right now and Derek's going to close us in the song that we sang at the beginning what a friend we have in Jesus to remind us that we really do have a God who wants to answer our prayers and I'll invite the prayer team to come up and uh, if you need prayer for anything they'd love to pray with you